Let's get to it because we've got quite the huge event to talk about. Today for you, you philosophy nerds and geeks, we're going to talk about Marvel's Civil War, which is different from the American Civil War, just want to make that clear. For that, you're going to have to check out something of a far less amusing nature. We're here to talk about the Marvel Universe with your beloved Spider-Man, Thor, Captain America, those guys, and their Civil War. To clarify, we're also not planning on hitting on the Sri Lankan Civil War, the Nigerian Civil War, or the Greek Civil War. Alright man, we're not hitting any Civil Wars except for the one in the Marvel Universe. Not even the Chilean Civil War or the Great Emu War. Dude, we get it. Hey, just, just wanted to hit all the continents. Hang on, did, did you say an emu civil war? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I didn't. <laughs> but are you, are you talking about the giant birds, those emus? I absolutely am. You see, Australia had an issue. No, aren't they extinct? Australians? Absolutely not. They're down under. <laughs> Emus hate you. Ah, you're probably thinking of the dodo bird from Madagascar. Emus are still very much alive in Australia since they won the war. No, enough about bird. Oh, wait. Did you just say that emus won? <laughs> no, no, nope. I'm gonna redirect us to our regularly scheduled programming. Don't be Aristotle by your Plato knowledge, cause we got our game I like. Will Vinny Vitty Vici and Mustachio Nietzsche, and we'll never miss the marks, cause I'm awesome, he's heathen, and this is our podcast show. And now back to the Marvel Civil War. Hang on, hang on. Welcome back to your absolute favorite philosophy podcast, the show where we take those boring philosophy manuscripts that you had to read for some insufferable class and make them a little more sufferable by relating philosophical concepts to pop culture and other nonsense that makes sense to us youths. I'm Heathen, <laughs> and now back over to Wholesome. Yeah, so... Marvel Civil War. They made a movie, Captain America Civil War. They made a movie which was based on the comic book event, and everyone may be more familiar with that, but the movie kind of lessens the conflict, so we're going to try and focus a little bit more on the comic book. Uh, don't worry, the general outline is still the same. The core concept is the same. The book just does a better job of showing the pros and cons of each side. It all kicks off with a group of young superheroes called the New Warriors. Not super important to know who they are, but just think of them kind of like B-lister versions of the Avengers. More like C or D-listers. Yeah, honestly. They're a bunch of teenage superheroes trying to take on some equally B or C-list supervillains. The new warriors are young and new to the game. They're still learning, really. But during a fight, one of the bad guys, Nitro, blows himself up and hundreds of people die. Most of the new warriors die, but also 600 civilians, people who just happened to be around because this fighting took place in Stamford, Pennsylvania, of all places. They, they all die. That's a ton of people. That's, that's not a good look. Oh, and there was an elementary school in the vicinity of the blast. Mm. All these dead little kids. Yeah, it's absolute carnage. And like you said, not a good look. So there's a huge backlash to superheroes after this happens. Um, not too surprised they toned it down in the movie. They just had an embassy getting hit. Um, oh, just an embassy. No big deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, not nearly as bad. Um, no, but public opinion of superheroes is in the toilet. Um, some get called baby killers. Other have, have Others have things thrown at them. It's not good. Then Congress comes up with an idea called the Superhuman Registration Act. Ooh, and what's that? Uh, the idea they came up with is that anyone with superpowers needs to register with the government. They're not being drafted or forced to do anything, but clearly they can be extremely dangerous, so they all have to register with the government and tell them their real identities, their 
secret identities. Then if they want, they can get training and basically they'll be like law enforcement or the military. Iron Man helps draft the bill with Congress and he talks about how it's an obligation for everyone with superpowers to register. I mean, superheroes, while doing a lot of good in the world, are just random people carrying out their idea of justice on the rest of the world, right? I mean, I, I get that they're beating up bad guys and stuff, but it's all vigilante action if they're not sanctioned by some government force. Yeah, that's exactly what Iron Man and, you know, by virtue Attorney Stark is saying. Um, since even superheroes are just regular citizens as far as the law is concerned, they need government authority to take care of business. So the Superhuman Registration Act tries to reconcile that. But then Captain America is put on a strike force that is supposed to go hunt down superheroes who refuse to register, and he super disagrees with that. Sometimes we use the term Captain America to describe the epitome of American patriotism, but you're telling me the literal Captain America is now going against the American government? Ooh, yeah, see, that's where it gets real good. Cap disagrees with the idea of registering because he thinks it would impede all the good work that superheroes do. It would slow them down, and more importantly, he doesn't want it to become politicized. And he's lived through and seen government becoming really bad. And remember, he fought the Nazis back in the day. So basically his thinking is that he doesn't want to work for the government because what if they try to make him do something he doesn't agree with? Okay, okay, I'm seeing what Cap is saying. And making him part of this strike force to hunt down superheroes who don't register is exactly what he's talking about, right? Making him do something he disagrees with. Yeah, and so he becomes a fugitive, and the whole superhero world splits into different sides. Iron Man and Captain America are the two leaders. Iron Man leads the Avengers with Mr. Fantastic from the Fantastic Four, Ant-Man and She-Hulk on his side. Captain America forms the Secret Avengers, and he's got Daredevil, Luke Cage, and Falcon with him. Spider-Man is kind of in between because he doesn't want to risk his family's safety by coming out publicly, but does believe accountability is important. Um, the X-Men are staying out of it. Doctor Strange basically tells both Iron Man and Captain America to go to heck and never call him again. Probably more intense verbiage. <laughs> and in the movie version, I remember Black Widow, Black Panther, and Vision go with Iron Man while Hawkeye and the Scarlet Witch join Captain America's side. Yeah, and I was just listening to a few of the people on either side. In the full story, basically all of the superheroes in America end up splitting between the two teams. Uh, it's, it's a smorgasbord of superheroes. In the comics, some other stuff goes down. Superheroes die, people switch sides, it's messy just like any war. But for our philosophical purposes, for now, let's stick with the initial premise. So, basically, Iron Man wants to bring superheroes under the authority of the government, while Captain America wants to keep them doing what they've always been doing. Hey, don't get him wrong, it's not that Captain America is a if it ain't broke don't fix it kind of guy. He's He's not just trying to maintain the status quo. He really thinks it would be harmful for everyone if superheroes had to register. I mean, he's literally Captain America after all. I'm not questioning his motives, but I'm not sure I agree with him. And he's not against the registration because it would be bad for heroes. Cap is very willing to put his life on the line and make sacrifices for the good of the people. But he thinks it would also be a serious danger to their loved ones if their secret identities got out. He just really thinks this isn't the way to go about it. See, I think I'm on Iron Man's side. We live in a democracy and are governed by the will of the people. But superheroes act independently and without any authority. Uh, yeah, but it's not like they're going about breaking the law for their own good. They're helping people. On an everyday basis, they're helping people who can't help themselves. Think about Daredevil and Spider-Man stopping crimes on the street, from purse snatchers to violent gangsters. They're out there doing good in the world, and the registration is, at the very least, a hindrance to that good, and 
at the very worst, a corruption of their good work. But the whole thing is that they are acting outside the law. I'm not disagreeing with you that they're doing good work, but that work is outside the bounds of the system we've created and all agreed to. Like a social contract thing. We, we've done an episode on the social contract. I remember that. For sure. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. They're not exactly operating within the social contract, but more so. Sure, they're doing good right now, but what's to guarantee that it'll stay that way forever? Where's the failsafe? I mean, couldn't we say the same for any other system? How do we know it'll stay good in the way we want it to? That's how our political system was created. We've got checks and balances. And you won't hear me say things are perfect, far from it. But we created a democratic system where the will of the people determines how life is governed. And superheroes aren't under control. They're good today, but what happens if they decide not to be so good tomorrow? They're not gonna all of a sudden and just- don't give me none of that, they're the good guys mumbo jumbo. I know for a <laughs> fact that in the comic book world, some brain control virus or alien technology or magic mind control stuff turns good guys into bad and vice versa all the time. Okay, you're right. That funky stuff happens in comic books, and I know you believe we live in a simulation, but you don't think this simulation, which the rest of us call real life, has brain control technology or magical mind control, right? Uh, no, I, I don't. But the concept still stands that we can't guarantee the goodness of any actor, so we want to constrain all actors under the same laws. Think about it, think about it this way. Our political system requires elections, right? Aha, the pride of any democracy. And elections require campaigning and polling and time spent out on the campaign trail shaking hands and kissing babies and, and all that costs boatloads of money and time, right? And we all get stuck listening to the same ads over and over and over again. I am once again asking for your support. <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> and it's a ton of time wasted. A ton of time distracted from actually governing and attending to the people's needs. But in a monarchy, in any sort of authoritarian rule, where the people don't pick their leader, there's no money spent on campaign ads. There's no time wasted going around giving stump speeches. <laughs> I never considered that. In his book, The Republic, Plato said that a philosopher king would actually be the ideal leader. Was that his way of trying to take over ancient Greece? Imagine a real philosopher king. Someone who loves wisdom and is reliable and truly cares for his people. Perhaps a benevolent queen who wants only the best for her people and is determined to accomplish great things. They wouldn't have to go through the endless bureaucratic red tape and processes to get things done that democratic administrations need to. Hmm. If the people need this or that, money can be redirected where it needs to be and boom, done. Mission accomplished. Democracy is painfully slow in comparison. I get what you're saying, but that's just as fantasy as the magic and mind control stuff we mentioned earlier. There's no such thing as a benevolent dictator in our world. There have been some kinda like that. I feel like I'll get in trouble if I actually name the people I'm thinking of because someone is bound to dislike them, but Marcus Aurelius, <laughs> he definitely comes to mind. Yeah. And I will say that in my developmental economic studies, I've seen quite a few cases where in a poor country, meritocratic quasi-autocracy brings about economic results and improves the standard of living far more rapidly than a chaotic parliamentary-like system. Off the top of my head, Singapore and Rwanda come to mind. Okay, no, we, we don't make a show that's supposed to be approachable, then casually toss out terms like m meritocratic quasi-autocracy. <clears throat> no, you apologize. Sorry. 
so everyone can hear. Sorry, so everyone can hear. <laughs> Weird, <laughs> but good enough. <laughs> well, if if philosopher kings are so great, why do we worship at the altar of democracy? Ha! I knew you were a no-good commie. Hey, no, this is entrapment. But not gonna lie, Plato had some major beef with democracy, since it was Athenian democracy, after all, that sentenced his teacher Socrates to death. Oh no, he's willfully ignoring that Socrates basically sentenced himself to death by being annoying. But sure, dude, blame, blame democracy. Putting aside your hatefulness of the father of modern philosophy, the reason democracy is superior to monarchy is because we can't guarantee a benevolent king. Ideally, if we could ensure a monarch would be benevolent, that would be better. But even if we fortuitously get one good one, since we can't guarantee that the next one will be the same, down with the king, I say, down with the monarchy. <laughs> and the point I'm trying to make is that superheroes are similar. We made a system of laws because we don't like kings and queens, and superheroes also dare to operate outside of these laws. So if they were bound by laws, then you'd be cool with them. You mean something like if they registered and were under the authority of the rightful government of the people, by the people, and for the people? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, okay. Captain America is a captain, and I don't know if you know any military captains, but they're smart cookies. He's picking up everything you're putting down, but here's his counter. From the very founding of America... The framers believed that government, any government, could easily become tyrannical, so they worked to make it slow and prevent that slide into oppression. Government moving slowly is a classic trope, but that's also kind of on purpose. Captain America thinks it would be really, really bad for a superhero to get bogged down by that since they're working to do good. And we can't forget that superheroes are the ones trying to fight tyranny. What if the government turns bad? I know you've got your precious checks and balances, but crazier things have happened. <laughs> And I'm talking about in real life, not comic books. There have been plenty of crooked governments and regimes. The history books are littered with them. So how can we expect virtuous superheroes to subjugate themselves under such governments? Okay, fair. There are literal corruption indexes, and virtually no country is complete without corruption, except for... Hang on. Uh... Of course, Denmark is at the top with the least corruption. It's, it's always the Danes. <laughs> okay, so Captain Denmark can confidently allow superhero <laughs> registration, but the captains of any other country might need to be a little bit more cautious. Basically, if there's any corruption at all, it creates some risk of misuse of superheroes then? I mean, that's, that's Cap's point, at least. Th though I think the movie does an awful, awful job of making Captain America's side seem justified. He causes massive property damage, refuses to compromise, and the government never really does anything that shady. Um, but the end quote of the movie makes a really good point for what his actual stance is. I've been on my own since I was 18. I never really fit in anywhere, even in the army. My faith's in people, I guess, individuals. And I'm happy to say that for the most part, they haven't let me down. Black Panther, the only person to actually learn anything in this movie, even says at the beginning of the film, two people in a room can accomplish more than 100. Ooh, I like Black Panther, throwing it back to that criticism of democratic processes. Makes sense. He is a king. Mm. Also, R.I.P. Chadwick Boseman. Mm. R.I.P. You know, when we boil it down further, this is a classic battle between freedom 
and security. Captain America is on the side of freedom, clearly. And Iron Man wants order, which, again, I'm not faulting him for. We definitely need both. I'm just saying he's mistaken. Hey, don't forget, he's a genius billionaire playboy philanthropist. I see why he's your hero, but he's still wrong. You know, the genius non-billionaire but still playboy philanthropist Benjamin Franklin has a famous quote regarding the matter. Did you just call the founding father Benjamin Franklin a playboy? Oh boy, do I have some news for you. But that, my friend, would be an entirely different podcast of an entirely different genre. Oh dear. The quote I want to talk about, however, is when he said... Those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Hmm. Sounds like old B. Frank is on Captain America's side. He's saying don't give up liberty for security. Bam, bang, boom. Actually, he said that regarding a tax matter. Are you calling Captain America a tax evader? Eh, I'm fairly certain he didn't file his taxes from approximately 1945 until a few decades later. Oh, he was frozen on ice. But that's besides the point. If we look at Ben Franklin's <laughs> quote as liberty over security, as most people nowadays do, you can work it to say Captain America's right to fight for his freedom and liberty and all that jazz and not give in to the security concerns, but I also see it a different way. I'm sure it's not a manipulated way to fit your point. <sighs> I would never. <laughs> But it depends on whose perspectives you're considering it from. If we look at it from the standpoint of the American public, they shouldn't give up their liberty, their voice as expressed through a democratic republic, in exchange for the temporary security brought by vigilantes like Captain America. Mm. The world is a scary place. The Marvel world even more so. Just because there are alien civilizations and cosmic beings and demigods of every flavor constantly fighting for the balance of power in the universe with the Earth balanced fragilely between doesn't necessarily make it scarier. Are you talking about our world or the Marvel world? Do you know something about alien civilizations in our world that you'd like to share with us? Maybe another time. I mean, aliens exist, but... No, no, another time. <laughs> Just because things are scary doesn't mean we should let extrajudicial superheroes act outside the law. Okay, surprisingly, I see how you apply that quote in your favor, but I'm going to turn it back around. Cap is the closest thing the Marvel Universe has to a philosophical king, in a way. He, he plays that role for the superhero community in general. Y you mentioned before that superheroes can go bad, and they have from time to time, but it takes those other superheroes to bring them in. Cap rallies, leads, and sets the example for the rest of the community. They're self-governing, and had Captain America been blindly obeying the government's orders, even in the films, Winter Soldier, for instance, would have ended up with literal Nazis ruling the world. If what you're telling me is that I've got Plato, and maybe depending on how you look at it, Ben Franklin on my side, then that's some pretty good standing. Well, you know comics way better than me, but... Wasn't it revealed at one point that Captain America was secretly a member of the evil terrorist organization Hydra? Oh, okay. It's so much more complex than that. It was like a history rewriting, memory rewriting, cosmic cube, nonsense. Oh my gosh. No. All I hear is sleep raging. <sighs> okay. Um, All right. I'm, I'm not sure we're going to come to an agreement on this. You mean Wholesome and Heathen can't solve the age-old question of freedom versus security in one short podcast? What should we do? Segue to a different topic? Yeah, segue away, my friend. Well, not a different topic entirely, but a different lens. So more like when the eye doctor asks if lens one is better or lens two, rather than riding away on a segue tour. Uh, 
I'm not going to even begin to try to understand what you just said. <laughs> but this debate, this civil war can also be looked at as a clash between utilitarianism and deontology. Oh, yes. Yes. Utilitarianism and deontology strike again. That was our very first episode. Back when we were innocent little lads, wholesome and heathen. I'm still innocent. It goes with the whole wholesome thing. I don't know that you've been innocent since you discovered philosophy. And I aim to bring everyone down my corrupted ways. Oh, that's not true. Don't listen to them. We aim to humbly give you some food for thought, listeners, not to convince you of anything. That's something you're going to have to figure out for yourself. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, were, uh, you were saying about utilitarianism and deontology? So utilitarianism is all about the end result the consequences and outcome of an action. It tries to bring the most good to the most people, whereas deontology is all about the path to get there. It wants a great outcome, but the focus is more on the means in making sure they're virtuous. In our premiere episode, we talked about deontology telling Batman that it's wrong to kill the Joker because Batman is against killing, and utilitarianism was saying, ah, go ahead and kill him because he keeps killing innocent people. And in the classic runaway trolley example, utilitarianism says it's okay to sacrifice one unfortunate guy to save five lives. Meanwhile, deontology says it's not okay to actively kill someone to save others. So who's on which side here? Utilitarianism says the collective matters more than the individual. Iron Man wasn't actually for the Superhero Registration Act at the beginning, but he changed his views after speaking to a mother grieving the death of her child who died in that earlier explosion. He realized that it's better for the collective people if superheroes register. Captain America, however, doesn't change with the circumstances. Deontology says that the means to the ends matter most. It's commendable that Iron Man changed his mind, but Captain America holds firm to his beliefs. There's a part from the Civil War movie where a character gives a speech that talks about this, and this is what she says. And she said, compromise where you can. But where you can't, don't. Even if everyone is telling you that something wrong is something right, even if the whole world is telling you to move, it is your duty to plant yourself like a tree, look them in the eye and say, no, you move. That was pretty moving. That was Agent Sharon Carter delivering a funeral speech, right? Well, I've got one for you in a slightly different setting. Listen to this. The greatest thing about this man is he's steady. You know where he stands. He believes the same thing Wednesday that he believed on Monday, no matter what happened Tuesday. Would, was that Stephen Colbert? From the time he gave the speech at the White House Correspondence Dinner back in 2000. Six? Yeah. Roasting President George W. Bush. <laughs> ah, so long ago, somehow. Um, <laughs> that's great and all, but in the movie version, Iron Man ends up building this massive secret underwater prison to hold all the heroes who don't register. Without trial. Even if he started out good, I don't know about that. This comic story is inherently political. It's written in fantasy, sure, but politics and philosophy are inseparable, and clearly the story is very philosophical. Iron Man's secret prison without trial is a direct parallel to holding prisoners without trial at Guantanamo Bay. And we can look at the Superhero Registration Act like the Patriot Act. Kind of. Mm, interesting. Though, though, if we make that parallel, then we're considering superheroes to be terrorists, and the comics definitely don't take it that far. The registration thing doesn't want to get rid of superheroes, just change their role. If you're going to throw shade at Iron Man, though, then let's bring up how Captain America fails to think about the very people he wants to protect. 
Americans voted and enacted this superhero registration after American deaths. Supposedly, he wants to protect Americans, but he's completely ignoring their will and not listening to what they're saying. Oh, absolutely. Not going to lie, he doesn't have much of a foot to stand on in this movie. And they really paint it like, bromance is more important than the will of the people. I'd vouch for that. <laughs> That's why I think it's so important to see uh, how Captain America and the comic books acts. In the books, Iron Man's side is much more utilitarian. Pretty quickly, they start sending supervillains to round up the heroes, Suicide Squad style. Captain America briefly ponders doing the same. Not so infallible after all. Hey, he's human too. So some villains approach Cap and they're all like, hey, they're using villains. We can be your villains. And Cap is, he kind of considers it. Then suddenly the Punisher just machine guns these villains to smithereens. Uh, <laughs> Captain America forgot that he had hired Punisher basically. So yeah. it's a very bloody panel. Cap knocks out the Punisher and realizes that by aligning himself with Punisher and even considering taking on supervillains, that he's breaking his own ideals. So he doesn't take the help and in the long term way down the line ends up losing and thus surrendering to Iron Man. Ha! So Iron Man's side wins, and so do mm. I. Captain America is the pretty boy loser, and so are you. <laughs> That's the nicest thing you've ever said. Um, but no, hey, hey, he, at the end, he even says as he's being arrested, you're not arresting Captain America, you're arresting Steve Rogers, acknowledging that his ideals cannot and should not be representative of America, but of the man beneath the mask. And it's that very same man who refused to listen to the wills of the American people as their representative. Noble, sure, but unrelenting and potentially misguided. The book ends only because Captain America realizes that the fighting has been worse for the superhero community than what the registration would have likely imposed. I mean, the comics agree that Iron Man was right, even outside of the fighting. Oh, you're not going to bring up the what if, are you? Marvel Comics do a what if thing where they... <laughs> take a popular story and change a crucial element of that story. One of these was, what if Iron Man and Captain America didn't fight during Civil War? Iron Man offers his hand instead of his fist to Captain America. The regulations go through. Cap gets a little more say in crafting those regulations, but the superhero community is basically perfect afterwards. If that's not a glowing endorsement for Team Iron Man, I don't know what is. Yeah, I feel like you embellished that scenario just a tad, but I get what you're going for. So, once again, I think that puts us at an impasse. Neither ethical theory is going to solve all of our problems. I don't know that either is 100% perfect for most people. It's the, the fight between being good and being right. I mean, ideally, you want to be both good and right. Like much of life, the best place seems to be somewhere in between. A blend. Moderation. I will say that both our teams have ideals that they believe in, and they're both trying to do what they think is best. They're not nefariously trying to take down the country or working selfishly for their own gain. They have completely different takes on it, but the same desire to protect the people. The what-if story even kind of implies it's the blending of ideals rather than the Iron Man side specifically that makes everything work out. Kind of like us with our names. You're wholesome because you're genuinely the most wholesome person I've ever met. Oh. Listeners, wholesome here actually doesn't swear. At all. Ever. I've never heard him say anything stronger than poopy face. <laughs> I don't say poopy face. But you don't say anything stronger either. 
and he doesn't drink, and he's devoutly religious, and he volunteers with malnourished orphaned puppies. Okay, <laughs> that part isn't true either, but we get the point. And, and Heathen is short for the patron saint of heathens, a name I gave him because he enjoys all the vices in life, from swearing and drinking to blackjack and even swing dancing. <sighs> okay, that's not true. That's, that's partially not true. It might be true. You're slandering my good name. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and, and when we were roommates, we discovered that even though we have completely opposite philosophical starting points and beliefs, we come to pretty much the same end regarding what we value in life and how we behave and all that. And Iron Man is way cooler. Oh, there's no chance. My guy is literally Captain America, the embodiment of peace and justice and apple pie. Ending our philosophical talk there, have you heard of fan fiction about the Civil War? Oh, no. Do, do I want to know? Oh, yeah. So, apparently... And I didn't look this up myself. I was told about this. Likely story. One of our fans told me about this. A fan told you? Why didn't I hear about this? Because our fans liked me better, clearly. <laughs> I probably should have mentioned that lying is another one of your vices. Apparently, there's a decent amount of either gender-swapped or gay fanfiction with Iron Man and Captain America during the Civil War. Or both gender-swapped and gay, I suppose. What? Why? On top of all of this heated battle... Add a steamy layer of romance, and it just makes it that much more contentious and intense. Passionate in their causes, and also about each other. <laughs> okay, I was not prepared for this, and I don't want you encouraging steamy fanfic of the both of us. So, I'm going oh. to flawlessly change course and throw in... Some more tidbits instead. A couple things from the movie. Color motifs are among my favorite things, and we definitely see it in this movie. Red and blue is a consistent color theme throughout, and it's especially prominent in scenes where Captain America and Iron Man are discussing their viewpoints. And the villain at the beginning of the movie is Crossbones. He represents himself with an X on his chest, and an X can represent division. Which is the theme of the story. Or it can also be seen as two arrows meeting in the middle, as if in a clash. And finally, the main viewpoint of the movie is that both Cap and Iron Man were wrong, as their unrelenting viewpoints created a division that led to the devastation eventually caused by Thanos, the bad guy in the later Avengers movies. The villain in this movie, who you might have forgotten about, he was kind of like in the background, but he was still doing it all, uh, Zemo, that makes him one of only two Marvel villains that actually succeeded in their goal, even if his goal was a little bit weird. Um, the original comic book comes to a similar conclusion with the unwillingness to compromise being the real issue rather than the viewpoints the other side was fighting for. I guess that's kind of like what we were saying about no philosophical position taken to the extreme is helpful to us. I think what we've learned here today is that if you don't blast each other with lightning and missile launchers and talk things out and reach compromises instead, things usually get better. <laughs> and that sounds like a great conclusion to me. Tune in next time when we're going to be doing something a little bit spooky. It's October after all. <laughs> yeah. And as always, we appreciate you listening. Wholesome and Heathen absolutely endorse rallying all manner of superheroes to join your cause in your very specific, absolutely unshakable position on what justice is. Excellent, actual comic superhero and villain choices include Doorman, Bouncing Boy, NFL Super Pro, Condiment King, Squirrel Girl, Hindsight Lad, Ambush Bug, The Wizard, Dog Welder, Crazy Quilt, The Super Wizard Stardust, Polka Dot Man, Matter Eater Lad, and arm fall off boy. Tell us who you'd have join your super team at wholesomeandheathen.com.